This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Freeby, and this week, we're in Kentucky. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist states. And when you hear the cold, you know so well, sisters speak Amelia here. Welcome back to 50 Feminist States Season 3. We are in the final week of Season 3. We've made it to the 25th state of the podcast, and I have two very special episodes for you from Kentucky this week. I am so excited to share them. Before I talk about today's episode, I just want to remind you that if you're listening live as this is coming out, you have two more days to enter our season three giveaway. So that will wrap up on November 21st at 1159 PM. Everyone who rates and reviews the podcast will automatically be entered to win a 50 Feminist States prize pack, which will be full of all sorts of lovely 50 Feminist States merch, including tote bag, fanny pack, notepads, pens, stickers. I've got tons of great stuff. Uh, so again, all you have to do is rate and review the podcast on iTunes by Thursday, November 21st at 11.59 p.m. For today's episode, we are in Louisville, Kentucky, where I spoke to Lori Blaney and Hannah Jones. Lori is a visual artist who works on all sorts of painting. They right now are kind of focusing on environmental themes as well as some really great pieces that I enjoyed around the Women's March protests and kind of visualizing those scenes in really profound and exciting ways. And then her daughter, Hannah Jones, who's also on the podcast today, is the co-owner of a karaoke business. Business, which is super fun. They are native Kentuckians, Louisvillians. Um, Lori has lived in Kentucky her whole life and Hannah grew up there, moved away for to the East Coast for a few years and is back living there as an adult. So I really enjoyed the conversation we got to have about their sense of Louisville, what makes the city so special and important, as well as the struggles that it faces and its own unique struggles. And then we kind of got to talk a little bit about, you know, Kentucky politics, the national sense of the state and how that doesn't really capture everything that's happening there. We kind of wrap up by talking a little bit about feminism and Hannah and Lori share lessons they've learned from each other about what it means to be a woman and a feminist in this world. So I was so excited to record the first mother-daughter interview for 50 Feminist States. And I got to spend a couple days in Louisville with Lori over Labor Day weekend to do that. And we had such a wonderful time. Lori drove me around the city, showed me all sorts of spaces from her life there, spaces that are important to the city, and this kind of grand driving tour that I really, really enjoyed. And then sat down and we had this like over an hour long conversation. And then what every audio person or podcaster has nightmares about happening happened to me, which is that when I went to produce the episode of this amazing conversation that we had in Louisville, the audio file was completely corrupted 
and nothing I did could save it. So unfortunately, what you're going to hear today is not the original conversation that I had with Lori and Hannah over Labor Day weekend, but instead is another conversation we had over the phone a little later this fall. And so I'll take this as a moment to share with you listeners kind of the trials and tribulations of working in audio and let down the screen of podcasting perfection and just say that things happen. We can be honest about it. And extra, extra thanks to Lori and Hannah for making the time to speak with me again, because I do truly think this is a special conversation and I'm so excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to the conversation. Here's Hannah and then Lori. So my name is Hannah Jones. I was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, and I live here again now, although I've lived other places. Right now in my life, I do all kinds of things, but I co-own a karaoke party business. So we do both like bar gigs where we like run karaoke nights, but we also do like private parties and it's really fun and lovely and I had a really good time, but also it's a slow micro business that I'm building and just started a little over a year ago with my longtime best friend and now business partner. And so I also am a barista at a coffee shop a couple days a week and I spend a lot of time with my friends and family and my nieces and nephews and stuff like that. My name is Lori Blaney, and I, too, was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, spent most of my life here. Raised my family here. Hannah is my daughter. I am a, a visual artist and uh, dabble in other art fields, but primarily do painting and digital mixed media. I concentrate on taking what I see in the world, whether it's messages or actual visuals, and recreating them into um, pieces of art for other people to interpret. I have recently moved the needle more towards a message in my work um, rather than just visual, actually sending a message of, of what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. And primarily that is in the area of taking care of the, the earth, appreciating the earth, but also in the political climate we have. A lot of the concerns I've had my whole life have, have kind of bubbled up to the, to the top, and um, I've done a lot of work that reflects my thinking and feeling on that. Can you both tell me a little bit about... I guess I just want to hear a little bit about Louisville. Um, maybe let's start with like, what's something that you love about the city and a reason that you live or you've stayed there? Um, it is very affordable to live here. It always has been. Um, there have always been areas that you can live comfortably and fairly safely and and still be a, a, a person who's in the arts, for example, like myself, who doesn't always have full-time work. Uh, Louisville has actually drawn a lot of people in uh, all of the arts in the past decade because of that word spread. It was a very... Uh, livable city. It's also very green and lush here. Um, we sometimes struggle with taking care of too much pavement in some areas of the city, but for the most part, we have a lovely park system. We have just, we're along the Ohio River, except for maybe like parts of August and September, the weather is pretty good here. It's just, uh, it's a pretty easy city to live in. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think all of those are big reasons why I moved back here. Um, I had been living on the East Coast outside Boston and uh, in New Hampshire for several years before my husband and I relocated back to Louisville five years ago, something like that. And a huge part for me was 
the cost of living, you know, a lot of the things that my mom said were all like big draws for me as well. I also particularly was drawn personally, not surprising that I became a small business owner myself by this, but that we have a strong small business culture in Louisville. I think partially because of the affordability, um, therefore, you know, just like overheads in general to start projects are lower. Um, and we're pretty supportive of our small businesses. We're a real like foodie town, for example, and people much prefer to like often go to one of the local restaurants that there's only one of instead of um, more like chain restaurants and things. We sort of can even like be borderline snobby about it as like a full city character. And, you know, but I kind of appreciated that and I wanted to be in a community that was interested in in protecting and investing in small businesses and small business owners. But, you know, for me too, it was a lot about community. It's a big city that feels very much like a small town. Um, It's a hard city to date in as a single adult because of the fact that you've already met everybody or somebody's cousin or somebody, you know, like, you know, somebody like it's everybody's a little connected somehow already a little bit um but it's nice to get that kind of big city appeal and you know there's a lot of different areas a lot of different flavor a lot of different like pockets of interesting things going on um but also you sort of have that more tight-knit vibe of a smaller town where you know but that's somebody somebody so you're going to you know people are more compelled to support each other and stick up for each other and things like that I find Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really great. And I'm also a big lover of a small town vibe in a larger city space. So talking about, I mean, Hannah, you already kind of mentioned, like there are struggles that come along with that one being, being dating, but um, what are some of the other struggles you see or you experience kind of in Louisville or you think that the city faces? I mean, <laughs> several. Uh, I was an American studies major in college, so I'm like hypercritical of the things that I love. I love my city, so I'm hypercritical of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, one thing that my mom mentioned on like a small note was just how, you know, some areas that are overpaid. And I think that like an extension of that is that we are almost exclusively car reliant in this city. Mm -hmm. um, And we are extremely vehicle reliant either way. We do have a bus system that's like a public transportation bus system but it's notorious for being late and unpredictable and it also just isn't very comprehensive just over the years they've cut it back and back and back so it doesn't it hits the main arteries but that's about it we are very car spoiled in this town we have lots of parking lots we have you can always find a parking space people actually expect to park for free Um, and it's been that way my whole life and so now it's gotten to the place where everybody has a car, every individual, every 16-year-old, every right. college Not student, every, every right. So now it's, it, it, the traffic is getting worse, but, you know, I just traveled to the West Coast and I saw real bad traffic there. So <laughs> we're still good there. It's just True. that, yeah, we could, we could definitely improve our transit system. And I think my gripe too is like an extent is, is, is even extended beyond just like how it has clogged up and gotten sort of like more dangerous and more like 
anxiety-inducing to drive around in town. Um, mm-hmm. I, for me, a lot of it, too, is just the sort of central focus on design for the ease of car drivers instead of designing our roads and our trans- transit systems to prioritize people that maybe choose not to have a car um, and think about how do we calm traffic actively instead of prioritizing speed of getting a car from farther away to closer in or whatever, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. I feel like so much of our, the thing, the choices that we make in that regard are to make life, life easier for people who choose to drive everywhere. Um, and that's partially, you know, by like we can't help it because we've, all existed in a community now that's been entirely designed around car travel. So we all are car owners because that's what you, you know, have to be almost in order to, I don't know, I guess have any like shot at any kind of upward mobility, I think is definitely an argument to be made. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that. I think we struggle historically. We've had, you know, we're, we're a fairly diverse city, um, but historically we've always been residentially in particular, quite segregated um we have a bad history of redlining practices in our housing which i think you know is true for a lot of america but definitely true for us um and that you know has like we are not i in my experience growing up in Louisville and living here now we are not nearly as segregated socially or in the workplace or um in the schools as I, my experience was in other locations, but mm-hmm. we are residentially quite segregated along racial Residentially lines. historically segregated, yes. We've had yeah. we've had uh, neighborhoods that have been designated um, primarily along lines of white and black my whole lifetime. And, you know, uh, not every neighborhood and not, you know, not all time, right. but... But pretty much so. And we're we're definitely experiencing growing pains with that now because there's a lot more mixing of those neighborhoods now going on a lot more um, for a lot of for various reasons. I think I think um, in some ways. No, I think that, you know, we are also starting to mix economically and that puts um, a lot of different people together. And then that creates people wanting to move to the same neighborhoods for the same reasons. Um, we have new generations coming up that went through, um, they started uh, a, a busing here in the 70s. I was a part of that. And then from that, they traveled to uh, different ways of integrating the school systems. And I think, you know, the positive results of that, um, one of the positive results of that actually, is that people do know people from other neighborhoods now. Whereas, you know, I was at the beginning of that, Hannah was you know, in the middle of that. And um, so she had a much better experience of meeting people from all over the city than I did. Um, and I think that that just, that does have a positive result in that you then start branching out more and feeling more comfortable in all areas of your city. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's just lots more. I mean, people everywhere are like creative and interesting and doing interesting things and having interesting thoughts. Right. I feel like that is, a true thread in my experience uh, in this life and in this country. But, you know, even with, even when you can paint a, an entire group with whole swaths of 
you know, any kind of value judgment or whatever, you're going to find lots of nuance and so like interesting things going on. Even, you know, people like to talk about Kentucky as this like deeply red state, right? Politically, for example, um, you know, that we are all Republicans and we're all like far right leaning. And that's not true at all. There's actually some really cool threads of like very progressive thought, very, um, you know, sort of like, push the envelope in, you know, all in things environmental and things, you know, social justice and things, racial justice and, you know, gender equality and, you know, sort of, and, and like, you know, pan gender equality, you know, so I find that that's been really, that was nice about growing up in, in that environment that I was talking about. Like we did have a lot more sort of um, in my generation, I felt like, there's a lot more bopping around the whole city. I sort of like have had friends that have lived in just about every neighborhood. Um, And again, it's got that small town vibe. So like if they didn't live there, you know what I mean? Their cousin did. (laughs) So we hung out there once or twice. Like, I don't know. I feel like that you get to experience more and nurture more and community build more. I think that that sense of the diversity of Louisville and Kentucky and the way that it's really prominent in some areas of life, the way it's really shifting and kind of residential spaces and neighborhoods mm-hmm. is really interesting. I'm wondering, Hannah, you kind of mentioned like gender at the end of that. I'm just wondering about your sense of um, of feminism in Louisville and if there is like an active kind of feminist activist scene or what you're seeing or involved in happening um, around kind of like gender and activism or art also I think that you know one thing that like immediately springs to mind is um there are like some interesting groups that have been sort of acting as like kind of mentor mentee and incubator spaces for both and in in my mind right now I'm thinking both for women and for gender queer folks that have been that have been happening and springing up in you know in the last couple years and several years in some cases but um even new ones that you know there's a new lgbtq homeless center that's opening for youth um that's opening soon and i think that's really positive and you see a lot of that you see a lot of intersection sort of building i feel like in the activism in this town um and you see really interesting spaces like there's this there's a newer gallery. My mom's had some pieces in um, several different shows there. Um, they do a beautiful job of every show they put on. They have spoken word artists as well as musical artists, as well as visual artists all on display, um, which is really cool. And they call themselves like an art and activism space. So they organize their shows around activist themes they engage with like local nonprofits and groups and community orgs that are doing the work around that theme on the, you know, on the ground. Um, and they sort of bring, and then they bring artists together around that theme and they, you know, sort of do these very comprehensive and holistic sort of bringings together is the way I see it. Um, Which is really kind of a Louisville vibe. Um, you know, you were talking about specific organizations, and sure there are. Um, but for the most part, what Louisville does, and in, in, in what I've witnessed anyway, is that we're a pretty caring city, we're a pretty compassionate city, and we're pretty kind to each other too. Not always, 
I mean, we can certainly think of examples where that doesn't ring true. Uh, every city has those, those issues. But for the most part, one-on-one, we're kind to each other. Um, and what happens in Louisville a lot of times is that change like that or growth like that or taking on causes like that happens in a more organic way rather than a form a group with a, a, a clear name and get followers to then make change so that yeah, you might that have a lot of crossover. It. That almost tanks it around here. Like if it's yeah. too formal. Yeah. If you come up with a tagline and a leader, people might pass it by. You know, um, but if you if it's if it's more of a groundswell, you will see a lot of the community come forward. Laurie, do you have like, an example in, in mind there for people listening who maybe aren't familiar? Sure. I mean, you know, for example, uh, and this kind of hits on both notes, but recently um, we, we have a bridge that we there used to be a railroad bridge that they converted to a walking bridge to connect to the Indiana side of the river. Uh, the Ohio is pretty wide here, and we didn't have a whole lot of interaction between the Louisville side and the Jeffersonville, Indiana side. And so they created this walking bridge. And now, uh, you know, it's just it's it's kind of an interesting phenomenon because it's just a bridge. But you any time of day or night, there are people walking on it and mm-hmm. it's become a real Louisville connector. It's become a place that belongs to everybody. And uh, recently, a couple months ago, uh, somebody wrote a racial slur in a spray paint on, on the bridge. Somebody took a picture of it, put it on Facebook. It kind of went viral. There were, there was a bit, just a big groundswell about standing up and just showing that this is not our city. This is not, we're not going to stand for this. And people from all over came down on a, the next Saturday and, um, and stood up against that kind of uh, nonsense. And, and, they also turned it into an event. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, they were able to kind of capitalize on that groundswell. And then the mayor came and there were speakers and they had a name for the day and all that kind of thing. And that was great. That's the kind of thing that actually does work here. Mm-hmm. But if you were just to decide no more racial slurs painted anywhere and we're going to form a group, come meet us, you have to have a cause, an immediate cause to get the groundswell going. And it it was, it was a great turnout. So that, that kind of instance, I I guess you would say, but as far as like um, more organized uh, activities and and groups, as far as feminist voice for me, I mean, I have been going more to towards the galleries that give women a better voice or a stronger voice in the community. Um, The art scene has traditionally been run by men and has produced more uh, men into the field uh, as selling artists. But uh, like Flux, they're just interested in the person. They're not interested in in your gender. I mean, they're interested, but I mean, they're not, they they don't, they just want to represent Louisvillians. That's, That's your only ticket in there, really. And um, is the gallery that I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, that's right. Art and activism. No, I just wanted it's, to clarify. No, that thank you. It's 1619 Flux Art Plus Activism. And they're even changing some. They're changing exactly how they do things and morphing and growing because they've been so positive and they do draw people from all over the city. But they're, you know, I think that values or causes like homelessness and um, and economic Equality, those are feminist values. Those are things that women need to be paying attention to and promoting. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more that are involved in in these, uh, the more people 
that are involved in these things, but especially the more women, the more that we rise to be the activators and the, the people who make decisions. And so we get to put our, our flair on how this is done and not just do it the same way it's been done forever. And again, you see a lot of like, um, sort of like what you were mentioning, mom, you you see a lot of like, kind of more like coalition building and like, you know, lots of sort of like multi-group efforts. So when you have even like a local chapter of a national sort of activist group like Mi Gente, right? Um, when, right. when, you know, the current sort of administration's policies um, with as regards to ICE were being ramped up and people were furious at, you know, the sort of Gestapo horrific way in which we're using this we've you know deputized this entire agency to terrorize families largely based on skin color and you know i don't know accent or whatever it's all very nebulously racist and you know gross anyway so there was a huge groundswell of you know there were local groups there were local socialist groups there were local you know black lives matter got involved there were local activists from mi gente there were you know other local groups that have organized that are you know sort of individual i'm thinking of like a youth you know there's youth-led groups and then there's pops up abolish ice louisville right and so it's like all of these sort of interconnected kind of lots of overlap in the venn diagram amongst members because their members sort of see like you know these this is a feminist issue because it is targeting you know because women are particularly um targeted as victims of these policies um it's breaking up families and 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 separating families and that's a feminist issue and you know what i mean it's um it's a racist issue and that's feminist issue it's a classist issue and that's a feminist issue so there's like a lot of these sort of coalition groups and so like a large group of folks all got together to occupy ice and camp out in front of the local where we would do any kind of ice detention in town right Um, like the jail that sort of would coordinate with that agency um and blockaded it and people were arrested and people came down and just you know passed out water bottles to people and there wasn't really like um a central organizing thing but then you see those same groups promoting on like a local nonprofit that we have in town like la casita center which does a lot of like bringing in of food and diapers for the community does a lot of you know legal classes for the community does a lot of language classes for the community um and all of those things you know what i mean i think that a lot of a lot of people these days are starting to see these are all feminist issues too that like you know unless unless we're all free we're not all free right and so we've got to all get free and how can we when a flashpoint issue happens you know because that's like my mom was saying like Laurie was saying that's great ways that Louisvillians tend to organize the flashpoint moment will happen and then we all start you know people will throw down and rush to and help support and help signal boost and all of that and that will then connect you with these other groups that are doing other things that are also sort of interconnected issue building and community building around issues and stuff like that. So that's mm-hmm. what I see going on currently. Yeah. And that's so refreshing to hear. And I think just relates back to something that maybe both of you have already mentioned, which I think um, a lot of people's from like a national level, their perspective of Kentucky is just like, 
Mitch McConnell and like it just oh, ends there, <laughs> um, which is why it's so exciting and important to hear about all of this, you know, progressive feminist social justice work that's being done and how much support there is for it um, in a space like Louisville. And I love hearing about kind of all of these different, you know, and one side note on Mitch McConnell, I always tell people <laughs> just one story. Well, just one side note. I always tell people this story, but I grew up with a ditch Mitch magnet on my refrigerator, mm-hmm. which is a great slogan, but has never successfully defeated him because a slogan doesn't encourage people to go to the polls. Mm-hmm. Just dear, dear America, we're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We've wanted to get rid of him my entire life, <laughs> um, but we have made poor, poor choices in how to mobilize the electorate. And I hope, my hope is, is that whoever it is that's going to come out of the field to run against him tries to run on a platform of this is why you should vote for me and not ditch Mitch only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kentucky in the public eye, the way, when it gets reduced down to just a, a film clip or a sound bite, has never fared well. I mean, people want us to... Yeah. to read a certain way but um it is weird that one of the most powerful people in the nation comes from kentucky and is not liked by a lot of kentuckians but certainly by enough voters to keep keep doing the same old same old which is uh, from what i can see is is not uh helping kentucky um but i am i'm I am really curious to see what happens this next election. We're, we're in a very weird state right now, not just state of Kentucky, but state of mind, um, in that we have a governor that very few people elected. And um, I think particularly women do not like him because he, um, he has attacked teachers, which uh, yeah. the majority are women. Mm-hmm. And that was just a real dumb move on his part. He didn't think that went through because almost every family in Kentucky has a teacher in it somewhere, a cousin, yeah. an aunt, exactly. uh, you know, my mom, you know, whatever. And so um, every family has a, is connected to a teacher or to a public school teacher in the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it absolutely. Was, yeah, it and then they that. have the majority of the the rural part of the state relies on public education so to attack it was just not a real smart idea. Um, I am hoping for a groundswell of women in particular mm-hmm. in this in this election. I think that will make a huge difference in um, yeah. the political scene for Kentucky going forward. In particular, black women and um, yes. brown women, I think, you know, white women have a, white feminism can be kind of historically problematic mm-hmm. in its ignoring of some of those intersections. I think, you know. There's, there's good swells of it now. There's good spikes in and out that are trying, people are voicing that and trying to, you know, change more, re-engage well-meaning white feminists, you know what I mean, on a broader vision and scale. But um, I agree. I think that the more we can also just as non-Black people or as non-Black women follow and listen to the leadership and center the voices of engaged and organizing Black women in the state and across this country really um, would, would serve us well. Right. Yeah. I think the listening is the, the key. There are a lot, yeah. there's a and lot deferring. of, um, yes, a lot of ideas, a lot of voice that has not been had its day. And, um, mm-hmm. and 
that is probably one of the reasons why we keep going down the same rabbit hole mm-hmm. is we, we right. have separated ourselves into different groups and, um, and those days are over and I'm glad for it. Right. Right. Same. Yeah. Me too. I'm so appreciative of, of all of this and like so much perspective that you're sharing on Louisville and Kentucky that I think is so important to hear because it does like reject that sort of mainstream narrative that narrative that reduces mm-hmm. Kentucky to these things. And I think I just thank you for for kind of sharing your thoughts as people who have are living in Kentucky in living in Louisville um, and have spent you know large portions or all of their lives there. When we did this interview the first time, we kind of I wanted to kind of wrap up with the same question and maybe I don't know if we'll get the same or different answers this time, but. And this is the first mother-daughter interview that I've had on the podcast. And I just wanted to ask if you would be willing to share something that you've learned maybe about being a woman or a feminist or even just a person from each other. Yeah, it was, uh, it was tough the first time you asked. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's a little easier because I, I expected the question. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the, my answer still stands to be that what Hannah has taught me, it, it's, it's a real interesting thing because to, to have been raised by my parents as a person and not a, not a female. And I think they did a pretty good job of that, actually. Um, they never assumed I wasn't competent in any area. Um, I had to learn to take care of myself across the board. And because of that, I can use I can use power tools and I can um, um, balance a checkbook and I can, you know, I can, I can take care of myself across the board. I can um, do all kinds of things and face all kinds of things. I can sit down for a job interview and I can uh, (laughs) bandage my child's hurt toe. (laughs) Um, But um, because I was raised as a person, that was an advantage for my kids as well. But where it it comes back to me is that they are of a different generation and they go out in the world and they learn new things about being female and come back to me with that. And what Hannah has taught me probably more than anything is to let go of the constructs of, of what a woman needs to be in the world viewed by other people, not only how you look, but how you, how you approach. She's very sensitive to when you're crossing into that dangerous territory of reacting at, to a male world as a female. And she's really taught me a lot about that. But she's helped me to be very grounded in myself. And so whereas my parents started me out on the path well, my kids, my daughters really taught me to be that strong person, even in my adulthood, and, um, and to keep caring forward with that strength and to stay grounded to let go of those constructs of of what a woman is supposed to be and just be myself thanks mama i um i think that growing up in your household and having you as my mom you know one thing that really strongly comes through for me in terms of like what it taught me about being a woman is that um, and sort of along the same vein of like what you were talking about, sort of being a jack of all trades, right? Um, is that I think that what we see in our current world and in our society is that women are asked to be and do everything, to do it all. 
And like, I really experienced that, you know, I had a, a woman in my life that was my primary caretaker that, you know, really had to sort of be a little bit of everything and have a little bit of expertise in just about every area in order to like help us navigate life. Um, and, you know, I see that both as like an unfair burden placed on women. You know what I mean? Like we shouldn't have to contain all of the emotional weight of the world, the physical weight of the world, the you know, all of the outbursts of the male, you know, community side of the world, um, you know, as well as all of the regular daily individual stuff that, you know, people would put on any adult human in society. Um, but I also see it as sort of this wondrous thing that taught me that women can be such amazing, strong, you know, seemingly unending wells of more courage and more strength. Um, we've had to be right. The world has forced us to be, but like, it's, uh, I, I wish we could have, I wish that the forge of the world could have, you know, we could have come out softer and still survived I think you know um, <laughs> but it's encouraging to know that we can be so tough and contain so much and I really saw that in practice um, just by having Laurie as my mom oh, thanks I think we all teach each other over and over to also you know that, that to be all that you can be is great and to, you know, I, I get up in the morning and I look forward to the fact that I have a very weird day ahead of me. You know, I'm going to spend an hour doing this and two hours doing that. And, um, you know, I was on the phone with uh, talking to somebody about a graphic design uh, this morning. And then I called uh, Metropolitan Sewer District and dealt with a problem with them. And, you know, I mean, I, my, my life is, is constantly layered. Um, I love that. And what I think we teach each other through processing and and through some struggle but through talking to each other and leaning on each other is that it's okay to let go of those people who don't want to meet you halfway and who don't want to uh, applaud that in you and don't want to pull their own weight um it's not that i'm a hard ass or anything about you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get out of bed and get going not at all i can be very lazy it is more about just handle your own scandal and take care of yourself and, and get through the day. And it's been a lovely experience having other strong women in my family to tell me again and again that you're on the right path. And it's okay mm-hmm. to let go of people who won't honor that. Right. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful sentiment to kind of wrap up the episode on and I think a lot of people listening will really appreciate all of the things that you all have said but definitely these kind of latter points about learning from each other and how important um, that is as well as kind of like finding the people that will um, affirm and respect our paths I like that mm-hmm. lesson a lot uh, so thank Absolutely. you Lori, for sharing it sure well thank you both so much for your time again I really appreciate this awesome all right yeah, thank you so much
Thanks so much to Lori and Hannah for being on the 50 Feminist States podcast and re-recording this wonderful interview with me. I appreciate it so much. After we recorded, Lori sent me an email asking if I could share one more organization that has supported her throughout her artistic career, which is the Kentucky Foundation for Women. They're a nonprofit that's been around since the 80s and funds many projects for the progress of women, particularly in the arts. So I've linked to them in the show notes and you can find out more information about their work there. We got one more episode coming up in season three, also from Louisville on Thursday. Again, another reminder that you can rate and review the podcast on iTunes to automatically be entered into our season three giveaway. We are down to the wire. These are your last couple days to enter. So go ahead, take a couple minutes to head into Apple Podcasts and get that done if you'd like to automatically be entered to win a 50 Feminist States prize pack. Coming up on Thursday, we'll hear from Hannah Drake a poet, performer, spoken word artist, writer, and activist also in Louisville. We had a really amazing conversation, so I hope that you will tune back in then. And until then, I'll see you on the road. Show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Naria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.